what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Knowledge is power. I would rather look like an idiot asking the question than making the mistake of signing up for something that I didn't know I was doing. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that gets into the nitty-gritty of the often untold teenage and young adult experiences of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Kashia Rosenberg, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget's CEO, Asha Gabriel. Today, we're thrilled to bring on an incredible guest and a wealth of legal knowledge, Jacqueline Combs-Berry. As a former corporate counsel for both private and publicly traded companies, Jackie has advised her clients on a wide range of legal issues, including drafting and managing corporate contracts, merger and acquisition, due diligence and integration, financial and insurance regulatory matters, and business risk assessment. These days, we can find Jackie practicing family law exclusively, where she's integrated her experiences as a prior corporate counsel into the intricacies involved in resolving all aspects of family law disputes, including high asset and high income dissolution matters, premarital and postnuptial agreements, and high conflict custody cases. We are so thrilled to have Jackie on. As a, a little background note, Jackie and I were actually sorority sisters at UCLA at Kappa Kappa Gamma, and Jackie was my big sis in my sorority. So I was lucky to interact with her and learn from her in that capacity. And it's been such a treat to watch her career grow. And we're particularly excited about this episode towards more of the second part of the episode. We want to dive into really what it looks like to be legally healthy. We hear like the buzzwords about financial health and setting up your financial life for success, especially as an independent-minded woman. And I don't think that there's really a thorough understanding of what that looks like from a, a legal perspective for young women starting in their teenage years, even through young adulthood and building their lives. So welcome, Jackie, to Meet Bridget. We're so excited to introduce you. Thank you guys so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Asha, it's been obviously such a pleasure to know you for so many years now. I'm not going to age us. And um, <laughs> Kasha, it's so lovely to meet you. So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. So like Asha said, we're really passionate about empowering our audience with knowledge and just like these real nuggets of truth and confidence in their decision making. And I agree. I think that there is a big gap in all matters legal. Like, I just think that that's not something that we talk about in school. I don't think it's something that most families really have as a topic at the dinner table to like prepare their kids for unless it comes up, you know. And so we're really interested in talking to you about all of this. So where did your interest in family law start? How did you decide that you wanted this to be your career and take it away. Start from there. Yeah, no, thank you. So I kind of fell into family law serendipitously. I um, was a corporate attorney. Growing up, you think I want to be in corporate or I want to be in business or I want to be in these, you know, niches, let's just say. And I realized after however many years of practicing corporate law, I wanted something a little bit more personal. And 
through friends of friends, I just kind of fell into the prior firm I was with that was acquired by my current firm, Blank Row. So um, I've been practicing family law exclusively for almost six years, and I've been practicing law almost 11. I really love what I do. Um, I think it integrates a lot of, you know, corporate background because at the end of the day, you're really, you know, making deals for people in a very difficult time during their life or during a very positive time in their life if they're getting married. It's been a wild ride. How's how's that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're always so interested because what we found is that there are connections to the career that you end up. There's usually a connection to something you had an interest in or a personality type that you had when you were when you were young. When you were a, a little girl, did you ever did you like already kind of know you were going to be a lawyer? Or looking back, are there things about who you were as a young girl that kind of makes sense now that you're doing what you're doing? I wanted to be a lawyer from probably age five. I just had that vision of I was going to be a lawyer. It was either a lawyer or a doctor because you know that's at least in my family, that's what my parents taught me, right? You know, go into a profession. And that's not for everybody, but I just had it out that I was I was going to do this. And I did it. But I will say to your, to your point to finding the skills that are good for you, I was always really good at conflict resolution and mediating mm-hmm. issues. And in my role now, and even when I was a corporate attorney, in the art of making the deal, you're mediating and you're resolving conflict. And Various different aspects of people's lives. I love that. Where do you think that those skills of mediation came from? Was that like a, a sibling situation? What was your, your home life that kind of made that that become a strength? Well, of course, when you have siblings, you're going to fight over toys, right? Um, yes. I, I don't think it was so much that. It was more probably being the friends that people came to and wanting to resolve their issues or, you know, get insight and not that I blocked out my elementary and teenage years, but it's it's going to take me a minute to go back to that time. When you were younger, I mean, five years old is such a fresh, fresh young age to to decide what you want to do. But for, you know, a lot of people who have these passions that really drive them into their careers, you know, you do hear that there's like just that idea or that seed that gets planted and yeah. it just kind of takes off from there. You hear that with like a lot of artists or creative professions. What was your idea of law as a young child and how did that sort of evolve over time? Because like at five years old, I imagine your idea of like what you'd be doing day to day as a lawyer would be really, really different from what your life actually looks like now. Or maybe it's not actually. Yeah. I'm interested to hear. No, that's a great question. And I will say this. My my experience as a family law attorney is very different than my experience as a corporate attorney, right? While it is corporate, it's less corporate in the sense of I can wear jeans to meetings with my clients because my clients are people, right? You know, everybody has their own experiences. I'm not necessarily going to be in a suit every single day. Um, I think the idea of wanting to be a lawyer as a kid and was really about education and educating myself and being a resource for others. I don't think I really had the idea or concept at such a young age of what that meant other than just the title. And I think that's actually a really good point in the sense that, you know, as young kids, we feed off what they sell in the sense that go get your education, you're going to be taken care of and you can provide for your family. And that idea is as a young child is very different than what the practicality of it becomes. I thought being a corporate lawyer would be 
very exciting and working on deals. And it was, but it just wasn't for me. And I needed a little bit more of a human touch, which is really what, you know, led me into family law. I think that's such a good point because Keisha and I have talked about this and in our own interviews, even kind of covered some of this. I think that especially with our generation, when we were young, particularly if you're in a family that's very like education focused and raising children, you do hear these like, they're kind of these broad category ideas of careers you can do. And it's like, yeah, doctor, lawyer, or like finance or business person. You know, that was what it was for me. And I never really got kind of inside what that actually meant until I started meeting people who had these careers, which is really like the whole purpose of our platform, right? Is to create a human side and a real background and depth and story to like so many careers, because I think that it's such a big learning as we get older. It's like, wow, I think when I was a kid, I thought I had like five careers to choose from. And there are literally like millions of careers to choose from. Mm -hmm. But even within the law practice, like you think lawyer, and I think that most children or young people would think like, oh, like in the movies, like they're in the courtroom, you know, every day. And it's like high stakes and they're putting on a performance. And it's like, well, so much of that job is all of the documents and the time and getting clients like there's so many other things involved and then within that like there are so many different areas of law and where it's like a family law attorney you have real estate law you could have corporate litigation or you could have like employment law like I have a cousin in employment law and they're all totally different jobs and totally different lifestyles so I love you kind of like sharing your experience in different areas of law. No I, I think and you raise a really good point and what I did not articulate well was exactly what you said it you know, having these five career options available to you and picking the one that you think is best. But as you, you know, as we all know, the landscape of what there is out there has significantly changed from when our parents started their careers and when our grandparents started their careers. And I think more information about what those opportunities are, it provides greater opportunity for the youth who are going into their careers and beginning their careers. And Financial independence can come in multiple ways. And I think going back to that point is, you know, when I wanted to be a a lawyer, I was like, okay, well, this will provide for my family. This will be financial independence. But there are so many other avenues that can provide for that that do not mean I'm, you know, at a desk 15 hours a day working. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine, I mean, in your day-to-day work now and seeing so many different um, even kind of like legal arrangements of families and how people come together and what a family is even defined as for people um, is probably like just your your mind up to even even more different combinations and iterations of what that can look like for people. Absolutely. And I think one of the best parts about doing what I do is, number one, there's no judgment. You can't you cannot do what, you know, be in people's lives with judgment. And I think that's a really important thing for all aspects of, you know, anyone's life. And I would encourage, you know, any teenager, college student who is considering what they want to do to not have judgment, because had I taken away the judgment that I had 20 years ago, because, you know, as a young kid, you think you know everything, I might do a different career path in the sense that I would have explored other opportunities that I didn't think were within those five realms of careers that I could do. I love that you said you're making the point of like not having judgment going as in as a lawyer and just going back to that headspace of like a child thinking of like, oh, what would it take for me to be a lawyer? 
I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, if I'm going to be a good lawyer, I have to have I have to be opinionated and argumentative, you know, or like Mm -hmm. really a strong personality. And it's so interesting that you made that point. And that you're so good at what you do, but it's almost actually the opposite of being able to like come in as like a blank slate and like really absorb what your what your clients bringing to you and not judging it at all to right. start. I think that's so, such a good point. I love that. I was thinking about the whole introvert versus extrovert thing too. I mean, when you think, at least for me as a kid, like when you thought about an attorney, it was exactly what you said, Asha. It's like the litigator, like working on the cases, or it's like you know Jim Carrey and liar liar, and you're like, wow. It would take somebody so forward and like open and like, you know, able to speak to an entire room to do that. But like you said, there are so many different avenues where you don't have to be that person and law just like every other career. Like, you know, even in nursing, like your image of it is like, okay, you start out in the hospital and you're taking care of patients. But actually, there are a lot of different ways to be a lawyer, be a nurse, be a doctor, like completely different avenues. And you can sort of mold your career into whatever feels right for you based on your personality and what you'd like to offer the world. Great point. Great point. What would you say for like a young woman who might be considering law as a profession, what would you say are like the most important qualities that you bring to your workplace every day? Like if you could think of like strengths in your just kind of who you are and what's like the best part of the match for the job, what would they be for you? Great question. So I think work ethic, of course, because if you want to be great at anything, it doesn't matter what career it is or what aspect of your life. If you want to be, you know, an Olympian, if you want to be the best parent, if you want to be the best sibling, you have to work and you have to put in the work to do that. And I also think that means not just the work at learning your profession, but doing the work on yourself. So to make sure that you are whole, being able to be the best and to get into that mindset that, yes, you can do it. And I think you know, work ethic is one. I think being able to adapt is really important and pivot, whether it's in your career or whether it's given an opportunity or whether it's in a deal or in a conversation, taking a step back, hearing what the other person is saying or recognizing the situation and how do we get out of the mindset of there's only one way to do this. And there's a really great quote that it's not the most intelligent of the species that survive, but it is the most adaptable. And I try to strive by that because the more you adapt, the more you are able to be better and the more you are able to, you know, survive in any aspect of your life. I think honesty is really important. And I think being open-minded is really important because everybody's coming from a different place in their life. Everybody is dealing with their own stuff and somebody may be really aggressive to you in a conversation and it has nothing necessarily to do with you. It has everything to do with what's going on in their life and they're either projecting it onto you or they're taking it out on you. And the more people cannot take things personally, I think you can de-escalate conflict in a major way, but also you can be better at your job. Absolutely. What does like your typical work week look like right now? Like what are the, the primary activities of a family lawyer? Great question. So every day it's different and every week it's different. I will have my massive to-do list and I maybe check off boxes one through five if I need a lucky per day. I think because I'm dealing with people, things come up. So you'll get in a phone call from a client and there's a massive emergency 
you know, something leaks in the press and you have to deal with that, how it impacts the family aspect. You have clients who unfortunately sometimes are arrested and you have to deal with that. How does it impact? whether it's from a financial aspect in their life or from a custodial standpoint. Every day is different. I can't tell you what tomorrow is going to bring. That's kind of exciting. And I think I'm definitely a person that has sought out career paths where I have that kind of variety in my daily life. And I love hearing you say that because I think that there could be a stigma around becoming a lawyer where it's almost like it seems like a very rigid, you know, more structured corporate type job. But in so many settings, it can be very dynamic and changing and, and flexible even um, like you're describing. How many cases do you generally take on at a time? How many cases? Over 30 at a time for sure. Maybe sometimes closer to 40 to 50. It really just depends. Not all of them are obviously active litigation. That would be a significant amount. But mm-hmm. you know whether it's prenups or postnup or dealing with a post-judgment issue, um, obviously there's some litigation, but I would say the majority of my cases are resolved without having to go to court. So interesting. We're super fascinated with, you know, confidence and communication, but we we really believe that a big part of confidence comes from feeling organized and like you're accomplishing things in a way that you kind of can manage. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about like the organization it takes to manage that many cases at once? Lots of to-do lists. And like I said, you know, and I think this is probably one of the, you know, learning curves that the universe has thrown at me because I've always been such an organized, you know, let me go through my to-do list. I have scheduled out every hour of my day of what I'm going to accomplish. And with family law, you throw that to-do list out the window because somebody's going to call you. There's going to be an emergency. You have to drop everything. And I think what's important is, you know, when you're doing this juggling act, what ball are you going to drop? Are you going to drop the glass ball or the plastic ball? And how are you going to be able to pick up the pieces when something crashes? And hopefully something doesn't crash. And if you let the plastic ball drop, it's okay. It's okay. You can, you can pivot and you can fix it. So I think it's, you know, having a little bit of grace for yourself that we're only human and there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. I think that's also so, I love, you know, just picturing you, how you were describing being able to like wear jeans to work and coming to yeah. your cases and your clients as as a human, I think that that's so important because I can only imagine that like in the area of law that you are working in, you kind of have to match the energy of your client. And in family law, it's like these are like the inner workings of people's lives. They're complicated. Right. There's a lot of emotion. You know, it's personal, maybe shame, you know, so being able to come in a way that it's like, I'm also human. I'm approachable, like I'm here and it's comfortable and safe for, for you to like trust me and help me be your advocate. I think that's such a, right. such a great point you're making about having that approach specific to family law. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love this because as you talk about it, I feel like there are a lot of idiosyncrasies between law and medicine. I've started out my career as a nurse in the hospital and have since transitioned into private practice and like now work as a director and do a lot more administrative work. But one of the things that I've noticed in my career is that that I find very similar in what you're talking about is this juggling, you know, like it's like the idea of triaging something where you're like, okay, glass ball or plastic ball. What I find is a lot of that is managing expectations and different personality types and managing families. And that's what you do on a day-to-day basis. Because 
one of the things that we love talking about so much that we find is really important and essential to basically every function for us and, you know, in our opinion for for everybody is communication. Right. How do you get through the day-to-day of managing like 30 different sets of expectations and different personality types? And what are some key things and tactics that you use to balance all of that, making everybody feel seen and heard and protected while still juggling things on, on a scale of like, not necessarily most important to least important, but like most pressing, I think is a better way to say it. Right. I think you, you said it perfectly. Communication is key. So setting those expectations, and if you're not going to be able to meet your deadlines, making sure that the individual, whether it's a client or partner or colleague knows that you're not going to be able to get it to them that minute, and you're going to have to handle something else. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it every day, but I, you know, try to, and I would encourage anybody who's starting their career, don't overpromise. Tend to do that because we don't want to fail and we don't want to, we're so concerned about keeping our career, keeping our job and making everybody happy that we overpromise and we underdeliver. And I think the best thing to do is communicate of what you, you know, what's on your plate and readjusting and prioritizing when there's too much. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be burning the candle at both sticks at the end. I think this is such a good point. I actually don't think we've covered this in an interview yet, but I think especially in a in a professional service role, you know, it's so important the point you're making about actually, I mean, some people even kind of recommend if in, in doubt, like underpromise a little bit and then over deliver and and then you end up like pleasantly surprising people. It's really counterintuitive. I remember, you know, starting when I was working in investment management for some time, someone told me that and I was like, "Wait, what?" Like I always thought it was like over promise and then also like over deliver but then it's like you're just actually just it's a losing battle for people like they think that you're just yeah. doing your job because you gave an expectation and then you you met it but even the expectation was like higher than what you were capable of doing so you're just burnt out right. all the time i thought that was like such interesting advice and it really takes like some some self awareness and honesty with yourself and being like yeah i would like to do these things and accomplish all of them. But like, what does my day actually look like? Like, what right. what can I accomplish? And just being honest with yourself and then with the people you're working with. It kind of makes me think, too, of situations where I'm sure, I mean, law is such a vast, it's such a vast landscape. You know, you can be an excellent ace lawyer, you know, and have killed law school and still have situations where you're like, you don't have the answer to a legal question. Or you need to seek it out and you need to get some case background or whatever it is to kind of really have a strong answer. Being able to come to your client and say, like, I don't have the answer to that right now. And I'm going to look into it and get back to you. Like, just saying you don't know something is totally okay. Have you had any stories or experiences where you've been in that situation where you had to just be like, I don't know, (laughs) you know? No, I mean, every day, because like medicine, law is a practice. And you have to look into things. There's legal research. There's, you know, case law on different, you know, different matters and or legal issues, I should say, you know, with family law. And I I didn't know this going into falling into it because in law school, they very much, you know, teach you a very finite aspect of what family law really is. But now practicing it, you're not only a corporate attorney, you're tax attorney, so to speak. You are dealing with 
every aspect of a person's life. You have to touch on real estate. You touch on financials. Everything you can imagine, you deal with. And I was not expecting that, which has been a lot of fun because you learn a significant amount of information and you have a wealth of knowledge of all aspects of people's lives, things that they don't teach you in school. But all the time I have to say, you know, I'm going to take a look at, look into this. I will confer with my colleagues. And I think it's important to do that than, than give an answer that is not correct. Totally. Obviously, law is connected to all these other different areas. Right. Who are like the most important kind of like business partner relationships in your day-to-day work? How do you build and manage those, those relationships? Great question. I work with a lot of business managers who I share clients with. Um, I work with a lot of different lawyers in different aspects. So like estate planning lawyers, entertainment lawyers, I have a lot of entertainment clients, corporate attorneys, real estate attorneys, you name it. And I, I probably have dealt with them. I deal with publicists. I deal with wealth managers. I deal with, you know, clients assistants. You never know who's going to be involved. And a lot of people are always involved. I'm listening to this and I, I love how... The idea of being adaptable really rings true in, you know, how you talk about your daily life. You know, you you spoke about the person that is the most adaptable in the room is often the most successful. And I I really love that. I think that that resonates deeply, especially in today's world where it seems like information moves really quickly. The world is changing daily. You have like a new Supreme Court ruling, which means that like the implications are that like precedence changes. So I imagine that your job is very dependent on what the world looks like on any given day. How do you, and you spoke about this a little bit in your business partnership, how do you reach out to forge these successful relationships and like leverage your resources in order to be successful when dealing with a case? I think it's knowing when to use your resources and going to people and not wasting other people's time. So if you're going to, you know, reach out to a resource, have your questions ready, know what you're talking Mm -hmm. about, be mindful because time is currency and everybody's just trying Mm -hmm. to get through their day, go back to their families or do whatever they want. And when they are making time for you, be respectful of that time. I think that's such good advice, you know, gold, like gold, because when someone reaches out to you for help and they've clearly, they've prepared, they know exactly what your area of expertise is, they understand the value of your time and they come to you in a focused way, like you want to work with that person again. Like you want to, like everybody wants to share their information. You know, like Keish and I even talk about this when we're prepping for interviews. It's like, we really do a lot of research and background and understanding. And we put a lot of thought into, you know, what are the areas where this person can really shine? Like, how can we make our interview different from everybody else who's interviewed them, right. um, mm-hmm. you know, putting in that work and respecting someone's time, I think is such a, a way to pay respect and really complement uh, the value of, you know, the, the skills and service that that person's doing. So great, great advice. Thank you. I have one more question about kind of what it's like to be a family lawyer before mm-hmm. we sort of shift gears and talk about kind of law 101 for young women. And that question is, you know, you're coming into so many different family situations as a lawyer. And obviously, like you are a human, you have your own family. And I'm sure you actually have too, like your own set of opinions about what smart decisions look like, like what things should be set up, like how a family should kind of run its, you know, legal setup. How do you 
kind of like bring your whole self to your clients and like helping them be like be an advocate for them and everything, but also like keep your own bias or personal opinions or family background kind of separate? How do you manage that gray area? The most important thing to know is that every family is different. Everybody was raised with different biases or opinions and what they need to do that's best for their family may be different than what you need to do for your family. And I'm not going to project what, you know, I do with my family onto another family. From a legal standpoint, there are certain things that are appropriate and there are certain things that are, let's say, not appropriate. And that can be dealt with in the case. But, you know, if somebody wants to give their kids food that I wouldn't agree with to give my own child, you know, let them live. Let them live. We're only here on this earth one time. And enjoy your life. I think, you know, it's really knowing what issues to press and what issues are important. And the rest of it is, you know, People have to live their lives. In the same vein, have you ever, you know, I, I think that, I mean, in my experience in real estate, yeah. it's like really choosing to work together. People kind of think like, oh, I'll just hire a real estate agent. But I think in successful real estate yeah. relationships, it's like the agent also is kind of interviewing the client to make sure that it's like, is this a person that yeah. I can best serve? And there are listings that you turn down, you know, if you're, you, you know, Absolutely. you've really established the way that you work. So have you had any situations where it's like, nope, like this isn't a good match or I'm going to have to walk away or like recommend other representation? Does that ever happen? So there are certain cases that I may not be the right attorney for and I would recommend or refer. Um, a lot of cases, you know, the potential client doesn't necessarily need a lawyer. They just need to mediate and they come to a lawyer to get that information. So I think being able to be a wealth of information to individuals and say, no, you know, you guys really have a deal already resolved. Just go through a mediator. Don't waste the fees on attorneys. Or, you know, I don't handle this. I would recommend that you call this person. You and I, we've talked, you know, about what you do and stuff offline, you know, and I think that Offering yourself, I mean, you're, you're so busy, I'm sure, with the cases and the clients you already have. But you also, what, one thing I've really noticed about you is that you, you do share your knowledge up front, you know, without like commitment and having to hire you on. Like you are so accessible. And I think that also, you know, for someone on the outside, it might be like, well, what if like, you're getting, it's so much work that you're maybe not getting paid for right up front. Or whatever, but it really establishes you as a wealth of knowledge, as a professional. It gives people like a taste of what it's like to work with you and it makes you highly referable. You know, I think that that's such an important part of law, especially family law, is probably you probably get a lot of your clients based on on referrals. Am I right? Absolutely. And I think being a wealth of knowledge and, you know, helping people, right? Because at the end of the day, in any aspect or any career choice or career path, we choose, you know, you're going to help somebody on some level, whether you're in HR, you're helping people get jobs, whether you're in entertainment, you're helping people be entertained. And it kind of sounds lame, but you know what I mean? Or it's important in finance, you're helping people manage their money or in medicine, you're helping people stay healthy, you know, all of these Mm -hmm. things. And of course, people are going to look to you because they don't have somebody else that they can ask these questions. And I think being able to provide a safe space where people can come to you and ask questions that they wouldn't feel comfortable even talking to their own spouse about is really is an important thing to do. And I think that that's something I can give back. 
I love how transparent you are too with your answers and like how clear and concise you are in describing what your goals are for people, what you do. I think that that probably makes a lot of your clients feel very comfortable because you just do a, such a good job of representing yourself. And I think yeah. that's that's key. Thank you. You know, it's really interesting too. Like we first met in college, yeah. obviously before you plotted out exactly that you were going to be where you are today, you know, okay. um, and you, you already had that quality. You've always been a very clear, direct, you know, concise and honest communicator. And I think that, you know, for anyone that's kind of like exploring career paths and might have those qualities, it's fun to share that this is a potential path where that can really shine. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to kind of shift into, you know, a little bit more of like a, an educational approach. There is so much confusion, fear around what it means to like set up your life legally in a way that works for you. And we really seek to empower women from, you know, their youth to their old age. And I'd love to kind of dive into like a sort of like legal setup for an independent woman for stages of her life, even like the mindset of yeah. thinking like a lawyer, like kind of like how to um, be cognizant. Yeah. Yes. Like how early can someone start thinking about legal perspective? Yeah. No, great question. And I think it really, the answer could go on forever. I think that people can start thinking about different aspects of their life. So you have your, you know, let's say marriage and marriage planning. You have death and death planning. And I know that sounds very morbid for an 18-year-old to think about, but it is something to consider. You have, you know, potentially children and children planning. So when you look at different aspects of your life and, you know, career planning aside, what are the legal intricacies of each aspect? So when you go into a marriage, you know, you may talk about doing, and even before marriage, if you live with somebody, you might consider, you know, talking about a cohabitation agreement of, and what are your financial responsibilities in that partnership? In marriage, the same, what financial conversations are you going to have before? And I think one of the things is people are so brave to talk about money. And I would say this when, you know, I was younger, I'm so great to talk about money because it's not something that you talk about at the dinner table. But I think financial independence, financial literacy is probably the most important thing that we can teach to our children so that they are not scared of money and they are not feeling like there's only one career path for them that's going to be able to provide for the, themselves and their own fit. And with respect to that, I think it's really important to note that a marriage, you know, I think of a marriage as a partnership and any relationship, whether you're married or not, it is a partnership. And if, if you're going into business with somebody, you're going to look at the financials. You're going to have those kinds of conversations before you decide to go into business with somebody. How is it any different than if you're, you know, getting married? How are you going to split your bills? You know, if somebody's going to stay at home, what does that look like? If you are going to have children, do you want to send them to public or private school? What does that mean? There are all of these different aspects. So I think, you know, these are things people don't necessarily think about. Yeah. I mean, I think there are there are just so many things that I think that a young person can even just adopt a legal mindset to that where you, you might not necessarily think you could apply it. Like you were you were talking about like a cohabitation agreement. Such a good idea. I'm like, and you don't even have to have a lawyer to kind of think in a legal way where it's like, right. all right, I have a roommate, like we're signing this lease together. Like what else 
you know, might we want to like agree on and sit down and have a conversation about like, okay, you're going to pay the gas bill. Let's write that down. Like I'll be the one responsible for internet. Let's write that down and just sign it so that like, just kind of thinking like, okay, if things were to go wrong, what would I wish I had as a reference point and just Uh write it down and sign it. And it's like, if you have to get a lawyer involved eventually, that's great. You know, or if you have the money to get them from the beginning, yeah, the resources to bring a lawyer on in the beginning, by all means do. But just kind of thinking legally a little bit more protectively about the way you're setting up your life, especially when you're working and trusting someone else with your well-being, your finances, your children, anything like that. That's mm-hmm. it's such a good perspective to start as early yeah. as you can. One of the things I hear a lot too, and I just want to because I'm really interested to get your take on this, Jackie, is like I often hear young people talk about legal issues in not a negative light but for example like I was talking to one of my younger siblings about establishing a contract like a very basic contract with somebody that she wanted to go into business with and my advice for her not being a legal professional but my advice for her was like just put it in writing it's not because you necessarily expect it to go wrong but it's part of establishing communication up front And then keeping each other accountable, keeping yourself accountable for what you say you're going to do and like for the other person as well. Would you agree with that assessment? Would you add to it? Absolutely. I think that that was great advice that you gave to your sibling. And I would encourage anybody to do the same. Again, when, when you're going into business with somebody, you know, it's great to have trust, but it's also great to rely on a document that you can use later if you need to or refer back to because People's memories are short. I don't mean yes. that meanly, but we have a lot going on. And, you know, you can have all the trust in the world, but money changes people. It is what it is. And things happen. And you want to just make sure that you're protected. And I think the most important thing is work for yourself. Protect yourself. And you can have all the trust in the world. You can, you know, can be your best friend. But make sure that you're taken care of at the end of the day because nobody else is going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, you know, we, we were talking about like communication, you know, and I think it applies to so many yeah. parts of this conversation. But even like, you know, when we're doing this interview, we have notes. We have kind of like a loose structure. It's not a script, but it's bullet points. Like we have things that we want to, oh, let's make sure we cover this thing. You know, it's the reminders to ourselves. So you can kind of honestly think of a contract as a as a way of, structuring a conversation with someone as you're making that agreement. So you don't have to keep returning to like, oh, we agreed to live together, but like you don't do the dishes, you know, or like, oh, this thing is a mess. Or like you took the parking spot that I thought I was going to have just to use that example of like living with someone, having to constantly go back and rehash your agreement actually is a lot ickier than sitting down and being like, let's just like go through all the bullet points up front that we can think of. And we can always adjust this document or add to it or think of it later or something else comes up. But giving yourself sort of a framework to go through, it actually makes the communication much easier and probably and will, you know, last into, you know, the duration of whatever that partnership is that you're building. Absolutely. And you're setting expectations. You're holding yourself and you're holding, you know, your your friends or your partner or roommate or whoever it is accountable. And you guys have both come to an agreement and you both understand that. And by the way, if you disagree with it, at least you know upfront versus, you know, having to deal with it and fix the issue later. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a love letter. Exactly. 
You're, exactly. It's not a like, I love, love you. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm. I I love you enough that I'm holding up my end of yes. our contract. Yeah, I, I mean, love that. About it, it's like in when you're getting married, it's like you write vows, and it's a more flowery way of like you know saying what you promise, the promises that you make. You know, this is just a little bit more of a formal way of doing that. But on that note, you know, I think the movies yeah. and everything, especially you know, a lot of what you do are like prenups, postnup agreements, prenuptial, postnuptial, yeah. meaning to our younger audience before you before you get married, you can sign a, a prenuptial agreement. You can also make one after you get married when it's like, oh, these things ar- arose and we didn't even anticipate we can actually do that kind of after the fact. So don't think that if you've gotten married, there's like, oh, we didn't do a prenup and now we're screwed. But you do a lot of these agreements. But I think that the movies, they sort of portray prenups as like only for the super, super wealthy you know, and it's only really if like one person has a lot and the other person doesn't. Can you sort of dispel that that stigma and just paint yeah. some scenarios about around where these what these agreements actually are and the flexibility within them? Absolutely. So what you are doing when you enter into a prenup or postnuptial agreement is you are defining your financial right and obligation in your marriage. And there are different rights depending on where you live. And let's say before you get married, somebody may have a house and they want to say, you know, I've already put in so much equity in this house. And I just want to make sure that in the event of, you know, divorce, I'm protected. I'm going to get that money back, right? Where it's going to be, you know, make sure that that house will go to me because it's been in my family. Absolutely, Right. Or, you know, you know, in a postnuptial concept, you know, people may live in California and then decide to move to Texas and the laws are going to be different there. And they don't necessarily agree to what the laws provide for in that state. And so they want to ensure what their financial rights are going to be before they move. I don't think prenups require extraordinary wealth. I think in a lot of cases, people are just confirming what the law provides for. And in that sense, you're really just, you know, crossing your T's and dotting your I's and just want to make sure that you know what the framework is and how you're going to split your responsibilities and your financials. And things like that. I think, I think it's really, a really important conversation before you get married to have that financial transparency and throughout your marriage to have financial transparency or let me rephrase any partnership or any relationship. Absolutely. I think that's such great advice. And it also speaks to like just establishing a healthy relationship. If you yes. are not able to have these conversations, then perhaps it's a good point to think about why that is. I love that. So in terms of a prenuptial or postnuptial agreement as a contract, like I think that young people get we encounter contracts much more frequently in real life than we realize. And yeah. I think it happens in Every avenue of life from like buying an iPhone to signing up for like a Hulu account. In your experience, how important is it to read, quote unquote, the contract? And what are some things that you typically advise people just to like keep an eye out for? Like what what are the important nuggets there? So read before you sign. Even if it's just the terms and conditions on the iPhone, even if it's just the insurance policy or travel insurance policy. Read before you sign. Know what you're signing. If you do not read it, you will be held accountable for what you sign. So using it in an example, 
you go on a trip and something gets canceled and you want a refund on your flight. Oh, but you don't have travel insurance or, oh, you know, it's outside this term because you submit to travel insurance. Well, that might have been a really important factor before you bought those tickets and before you bought that insurance plan. So uh, read before you sign. I think that's such good advice. I mean, I we we run into that stuff all the time. I even I've even noticed like the cookies thing on like pretty much every website you go to where it's like, oh, oh you just yeah. want to click like accept, accept. And I'm like, wait a minute, like they're opting me into all these unnecessary cookies. Mm-hmm. Like, no, opt out, opt out, opt out. I also had a couple experiences. I know this isn't like super directly related to family law, but like as a model, I had situations where I had a contract in front of me. And I think that sometimes, especially if you're maybe in a um like the less powerful situation, you know, or you're young or whatever, you're being hired for something. There is sometimes this fear because it's a document in front of you. You might think that you don't have any power to like adjust it and want to negotiate it. But I think it's actually a good demonstration of, of knowledge and kind of legal aptitude to be like, Hey, actually like love this agreement. Everything sounds good except for clause three a you know can we adjust that to 30 days instead of 15 or whatever it is it's like you can there is no agreement in your life or or situation that you're walking into that you don't have a right to negotiate and make work Mm -hmm. for you right which i also want to point out that like the name itself agreement implies that both parties have a right to look at it and decide what works for both parties right we think everything in life is negotiable Who's going to do the dishes tonight? Who's going to walk the dog? Who's going to do the diaper change? I mean, it may not be perfect, but everything is negotiable. And what is the worst thing that the other party can say? No. But if you did not ask for it, you do not know what the answer is. So don't take yourself out of the running before putting yourself in. I love that. If you had a little sister that was just kind of entering her young adulthood and you wanted her to kind of educate herself. Maybe she wasn't becoming a lawyer, but you just wanted her to have a standard like set of like just legal knowledge. Um, You know, she approaches big decisions like getting hired, like getting married, like starting a family. Where would you point her in terms of like educating herself about these things or what? And what are some like basic things that you're like, learn about this, know what this term means? Um, I would probably... The first thing I would tell a younger self of mine or sibling or, or anybody, take your time. Enjoy being in your 20s, in your teenage years. Work is always going to be there. And I know it's so easy to say that, but take your time. Go take that trip. Time is currency. Enjoy your life. I would say from an educational standpoint, meet Anybody in any profession that you can meet, take them to coffee, ask them questions, be respectful and and learn and be open to learning and understanding everything that you didn't learn in school because you're not going to learn the majority of things that you're going to use in your life. They're in school. I would say, you know, speak with a financial advisor or a wealth manager. I would say talk to a business manager, talk to an insurance agent. Talk to a lawyer, different types of lawyers. Talk to, a, you know, a doctor. Talk to anybody that you can meet who does anything. Talk to somebody in marketing. Learn how you can market yourself because I think the most successful individuals know how to market themselves. 
not necessarily they may be the you know best at what they do, but they know how to market and build their business. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of like what we're trying to do is like bring those conversations to a setting where it's like, okay, if you don't have time to meet one of these people in person or you don't have access to a marketing yeah. professional or a lawyer, you know, like hop on Meet Bridget and, you know, scroll through. You'll find somebody with a profession that you kind of have a curiosity about. But I love the point that you're making that it's like even legal knowledge, you know, it's not necessarily like you're you're reading a law book. It's like really anyone you meet and learning from their stories and their situations can make you feel more empowered and have a sense of, yeah. you know, control and empowerment in in even your your legal future. I think also like law is one of those things that touches pretty much every profession. And, you know, in real estate, it's, it's funny because I can't remember who said this to me, but it was like, if you haven't been sued, you're probably not doing something that big. <laughs> um, and I'm like, and I think that's debatable, but I think that there is yeah. just like, as deals and business and stuff gets bigger and bigger, like people are going to disagree. So there's so many different right. stories that you can glean from people like, hey, have you ever been in like a lawsuit? Like, what did that look like? Like, what was a mistake you made, you know, that ended up in a legal situation that you wish you could have done something else to avoid? I mean, these are like great questions to ask literally anyone in any field about law that it, it really extends to to every field. Can you explain the difference between, I think you, you mentioned it earlier, but family law and estate law are connected, but different. Can you explain that, that difference for our audience? Absolutely. So family law is basically getting people married and getting people divorced. And I'm going to say in all aspects of what that means. So a financial marital settlement agreement, a prenuptial agreement, a postnuptial agreement, a cohabitation agreement custody issues or matters and post-judgment matters relating to your divorce or your, your relationship. It's also paternity actions. Estate planning is basically death planning, right? And I hate to say that again because it's morbid, but planning for your death or your, you know, your passing and how to protect your assets. And it is a completely different legal practice than family law. Some practitioners do both. I do not. That's such a good distinction. And I think that could be very confusing from from the outside where it's like, oh, family law, it's like all things concerning the family. Like, so do you make trusts? It is a, a not a funny point, but like a awkward point that you made where it's like it is it's death planning. It's like it's kind of planning, like expecting the unexpected, you know, when you're setting up a trust or kind of a state plan, a will, whatever it is kind of just like you have to sit down and think through some yucky stuff. Like I remember when we set up our trust, there were moments in there where we like looked at each other and just like, oh, like, I don't like thinking right. about this. But it's like, but then you think about it once, you go through it once, and then it gives you the peace of having like, oh, well, there's a plan for that. And I think it right. kind of probably applies to some of this thinking around like pre and, and postnuptial agreements, agreements around children after a divorce. You know, it's, it's a, something that you can return to and reference and have the peace of having agreed on it together. Exactly. Exactly. And it's in its lifelong planning and, and protecting your assets upon your death. Absolutely. So I was thinking through and thinking through all the situations in addition to like the contracts that we're met with on a daily basis. Talk us through like a young person getting hired, they're going through, they're signing their HR contract for the first time. And then they see things pop up like, okay, now it's time to elect your insurance coverage. Do you want life insurance? I remember being in my early 20s and thinking, why am I even being met with this right now? I'm so young. But I think it's, it's a really good 
example of a situation where you're met with something as a young person and nobody prepares you for that kind of question. You're just kind of like, do I do it? Don't I? So from a legal perspective, what would you do in that situation or what would you advise? And are there other similar situations you might be able to share with our audience that would fall into that category as well? So you are never given the information up front or, you know, (laughs) before you have to elect for these things. I would say with respect to electing insurance, every family is different and every individual is different. So it really depends on, you know, whether your personal circumstances require it and who you would then provide that financial security to. From a non-legal perspective, I will just say I encourage individuals to make you know, the right financial decisions for themselves. And whether it's, you know, you're paying an extra $10 to ensure that your cat is going to be taken care of in the event of your unfortunate passing or your, you know, student loans are paid off or your any of your debts are taken care of. So it's not put on your spouse. I think that's a really important conversation to have. And the financial information is important for you to educate yourself on to make sure that you protect your family. With respect to Other things, you know, I think people experience different questions at every aspect of their life, right? Again, it comes down to children. Are we going to set up a five to nine account? I would encourage that, Um, you know, not from a legal perspective and not from a financial, but everybody can do their own research on that. I love it. Well, I think that, I mean, even we were kind of talking about things we wanted to ask you about. And even within hearing your definition of family law, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm like, oh, we wanted to ask her about like, you know, setting up trusts and like life insurance and these things. I was like, these don't actually even fall within family law. You know, now we're like talking about your profession and everything, but it is, it goes to show you that like within your field, you are, because you're so connected to all these other facets of someone's life. And you're probably kind of like a starting point for someone to like, you know, they'll ask you one of those questions and you have to refer out to something, but then you're kind of tying it to the work that you're doing. Um, It really has like made you a professional and a, and a source of knowledge in these areas, even outside what you technically like your job description is. I think that's such a great example. Thank you. So we usually close out our interviews. I feel like we could just sit with you for hours. Like you could write a book for us um, <laughs> on all these topics uh, and it would be concise and beautiful and direct, but we want to respect your time. Um, so we're going to jump into, we, we usually close out with a fast five questions. You can obviously elaborate, but try to just answer with whatever comes to mind. And I'll start with number one. What is the best way to find a mentor in your experience? Mentors come in different shapes and sizes and at different points in your life for different lessons that you need to learn. I think when you are looking for a mentor, honesty is really important. And also your boss may not be your mentor. There may be somebody else that is your mentor. Don't always look at the position of authority as being the mentor. I also think it's important to know if you are going to put your trust in somebody, what is that to them, right? How do they treat you and how do they treat others in their life? When you look at a mentor, you can have a mentor for different aspects of your life, right? You can have somebody from a family perspective. You can have somebody from a business perspective. But there are different mentors for different purposes. And you may not agree with everything that your mentor does because at the end of the day, they're human as well. But I think you can take the best from every single individual that you meet and know 
what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are, because we all have weaknesses and we need to be honest with ourselves about what our weaknesses are and realize that, you know what, I can learn from this and I can, I can be better at doing this because I've learned that, that hasn't worked out for this person, but they're really great at marketing or they're really great at this. And I can learn skills to be better myself based on how great they are at doing that. I think that's such a, such important advice. A mentor can be in really any capacity. Like you can kind of right. find someone who's a quote unquote mentor, but it's like you admire the way they run their family schedule, you know, or you admire the way that they've set up the, you know, their business in this very specific way. Like, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, am I your mentee now? And you're my mentor. You can just connect with someone, express your appreciation and respect for whatever it is that they do and acknowledge that it's like this person has something that I want to emulate. I look up to you you know, and I'd like to know, you know, how, how they did that thing. And it can be in so many different areas of your life for different periods of time, you know, and for different reasons. Such a great response. Thank okay. You. Number two, most common legal mistake young women make. Not reading and not knowing the rights and being afraid to ask questions because we're too embarrassed to do so. Knowledge is power. I would rather look like an idiot asking the question, then making the mistake of signing up for something that I didn't know I was doing, whether it's by not taking the risk or signing the contract I shouldn't have signed or whatever it is, but being too afraid to ask the question can lead to significant problems down the road. Of that, super, super important. Um, number three, what is your favorite type of client or case to work with? Favorite type of client or case I would say I love clients who are nice. And I know that sounds so simple, but again, we're all human and we're all just, we're, we're working for you and we're working with you. And it's really important to know that we all have, you know, we come from different experiences. We come from different backgrounds. And I think it's really important, both as being the client and the service provider to listen, right? Because if somebody's not going to take your advice, you can be the best lawyer for them or you can be the best advocate for them, but they're going to live their life and they're not going to agree with what you do. And, and either you're the right fit for them and that works for you and, and, and works for your relationship or, or it doesn't. Um, and I also think as the client, it's really important to know you are selecting these individuals who are experts in their field or you, so you hope to provide you with the advice to navigate an experience that which you have not crossed before. So it is really important to know that you may not be the expert in this field and using that, you know, analogy in, in everyday life, like I would not be great at cutting my own hair. I go to somebody to cut my hair. I go to an expert to washing my dog and I'm not as great at washing my own dog, you know, little things like that. I, I entrust in a tutor for my child or I entrust in somebody to help me with, you know, landscaping my house or something like that. We all have expertise in different aspects of lives. And I think it's really important to know when you are selecting a professional to trust in them because they are trying to help you. Absolutely. Love it. Number four, most impactful habit you've established for a successful day. Routine. Routine is great. Knowing what you're planning to do the next day. So I think routine starts the day before, right? Getting your yes. to-do list read the following day, knowing, you know what, I'm, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to meditate, or I'm going to work out, or I'm going to 
you know, make my coffee or I'm going to go on a walk or, or, you know, before I start the day and before I do this. And also taking care of yourself and making sure that you carve out time for yourself because we get so lost in making time for others that we forget that self-care is needed in whatever aspect that is. So good. Okay. Well, number five, and kind of in that vein, what is the most essential tool for making motherhood and being a lawyer work? Well, the toughest, you know, I think it's having grace with yourself. And I think before having a child, I was so, you know, hard on myself. And I think I wanted to be perfect at everything. And when you become a mom, the ball is going to drop. And, you know, going back to that juggling analogy, I hope today it's not going to be the glass ball, but it may be, and that's okay. And, you know, if there's pasta on the wall because he decided he didn't like his dinner, you're just going to have to clean it up. But having grace with yourself because we're all just trying to do our best and you have one life with your kids. And I think it's really important to enjoy every minute that you have. I think that's just beautiful advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, usually end with one final question and it doesn't have to be a fast one, but what is one quality that you had as a young woman that maybe you didn't take pride in then, but that looking back, you so appreciate now? You know, I think it's adapting, right? And I think it's also learning to heal and adapt yourself to be and being open to change. So I would say, you know, when I was younger, I was judgmental because I thought I knew everything. And then it hit me that that's just not going to get you far in life. It's really important to be open and know that everybody is different, comes from a different personality type and, and different family and different experience. And it's really important to learn from that and be open to experiencing that and how that can help you be a better version of you. So I think it's, you know, learning and accepting being able to grow and that growth spans our entire lives. I'm still growing. You're still growing. We're all still growing. And that's okay. It's okay. And it's important. I love that. I love that. I think, um, I mean, Keisha and I have like talked about this. If you look back and you're slightly embarrassed by like somewhere you were or somewhere you started off, like that's actually such a good sign because it means you've grown. You know, yeah. if you look back and you were just like, yep, had it. Yep, done. Like <laughs> everything's exactly the same. Like right. that means you haven't grown at all. So right. I love that. No one wants to peak in middle school. Exactly. No. <laughs> what you say is like, you know, if you're going to fall, fall forward, right? Yeah. Fall forward into yes. the, to the next lesson and into the next lesson because I think that the universe is going to keep presenting these lessons to you until you realize like what is that trying to teach me and it moves you towards the next breath experience that you need. I love it. Well, Jackie, this has been such a treat. Before we go, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you, to hire you, to learn more about you? Um, give yourself out. Thank you. Um, so I'm an attorney at Blank Roan. You can find me on the Blank Roan website. My name is Jacqueline Combs, and I look forward to hearing. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and all of your extensive knowledge today, Jackie. We can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you guys. So fun. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. 
Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?